0: He's controversial, 20,
1: 30, 40, 50 years from now,
0: he's outspoken,
1: you will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-great-grandkids,
0: and he tells it like it
1: is, that you watched a great athlete named The Franchise, and he was the greatest world's Heavyweight
0: Champion of all time. He is The Franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to The Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. let's roll into it quite nicely because this is the Triple Threat Podcast. It's episode number 55 of the Triple Threat Podcast being brought to you today here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting platform. If you haven't known this already for all these shows that we've done, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner on the two-man power trip, the one and only John Paz, and on the Triple Threat Podcast, it is our dubious distinction and honor to be joined by the man our co-host the franchise shane douglas shane how you doing this week and welcome back for yet another fun episode of the triple threat podcast man
1: i i, I just you know I, I was told to call into this number and i find out you guys are doing a podcast and doing 55 episodes i mean that's hard to imagine no seriously for everybody that's been listening uh thank you to everybody because it's just been a It's been a hell of a lot of fun, uh, albeit a lot of work, but a hell of a lot of fun and uh, getting a lot of great feedback. So for everybody out there listening, we sincerely appreciate you listening and uh, hope you continue to send the questions in and and giving us the support. Fantastic. I'm humbled by all of it.
0: Every single week. I mean, it's growing very slowly here, and it's been awesome. And I'm just going to say this right off the gate. I was going to say it at the end, but I want to get it out now. We gotta hear the feedback. We gotta hear if you're listening. Please share with us what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear, what we've talked about. Please engage us via social media. We we love to talk to you. And every single week, it just it, it picks up more steam and it gets rolling. And it's been a lot of fun. Especially, I'd say over the last three four weeks, we've just got an influx of uh, new listeners and a lot of great feedback. And yeah, just like Shane said, I'm gonna echo that sentiment. Thank you very much. For all the kind words that have been out there so far. We can't uh, can't do it without anybody listening. So we appreciate you being here with us. But for fifty-five episodes, we're trying to do something cool with this Triple Threat podcast. And coming off of last week, you know, we said it was Cyberslam ninety-six slash Brian Pillman uh, and your feud with him, Shane, but it ended up being all about Brian Pillman. And I think that that yeah. became the talk, the talk of the week. Cyberslam took a backseat to the greatness of uh, the loose cannabis. Shane, I mean, what, did, what do you think about looking back on that episode and, and how much ground we covered? And obviously, from what the feedback we got, a lot of people really enjoyed hearing that, uh, those stories about Brian Pillman and uh, especially even people reaching out to his son on Twitter and trying to tag him in it and saying, hey, you got to check this out. A lot of people uh, still loving what your dad did.
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, and with good reason. Right. I mean, when you look at the business then, you know, now, but even then, you know, Brian Pillman was so cutting edge so far ahead of the curve, uh, you know, that the business really did play catch up. But much of what came later in ECW and pretty much everything that came in the Attitude era was born on episodes like you saw with with Brian Pillman in the ECW arena and Brian Pillman in general. Him, you know, which of us cannot forget, or which of us can forget, you know, Brian Pillman wrestling the pencil, right? I mean, it was just brilliant, brilliantly prescient uh, uh, depiction of the wrestling business as has always been conducted. And for the fans who at that time in the early days, the inception of the internet, that were just beginning to get this, you know, kayfabe peek behind the curtain, you know, the stuff they were never supposed to see. And suddenly you see Brian Pillman out there doing all of these outlandishly outrageous things, uh, including wrestling the pencil. And that's just their tip of the iceberg. It really, I think, told the wrestling fans, aha, I knew it. There's a lot more going on behind the curtain than I even realized there was. And it really expanded their horizons and a sense of urgency. As to now, I've got to know what's going on backstage, what's going on behind that curtain. And, you know, a lot of that, I think, draws right back to Brian Pillman. There were vestiges earlier. You know, people talk about, you know, me being the first shoot guy. No, I mean, Randy Savage, Randy Popo did that years before. You know, we all built on things that we had seen before, as did Brian Pillman. But Brian Pillman took it to a different level. You know, t- took it to the roof. And, and again, with the inception of the internet, you know, suddenly people were able to talk around the planet. You know, if you were in Timbuktu uh, on the night that Brian Pillman threatened to piss in the UCW arena, you could follow that and find out about it long before any magazine or dirt sheet or uh, show, you know, television or radio show could tell you about it. And, you know, it just really, for me, it, it sort of showed of things to come, you know, where the business, you know, how, the, you know, how much the business has changed and the world has changed with the advent of social medias and the internet and all this instant communication, a lot of it great and a lot of it bad. But Brian Pillman, clearly, if you go back and watch that, erase everything, go tabula rosa, everything that Brian Pillman was doing was so far ahead of the curve and would underscore and underwrite so much of what would happen later in the big companies like WCW and WWF, but in the smaller companies like ECW and in the industry as a whole. Uh, Brian Pillman was the architect of, of a lot of that, and that can't be undersold in any in any way without you know unless you want to play an ignorant, stupid son of a bitch, uh, which I never really envisioned making myself to look. Uh, but to me, Brian Pillman, aside from being a friend, uh, was somebody that you know, like I, I've mentioned before, uh, when we would go to the ring. You know, there was never this sit backstage and let's talk for six hours. What are you are going to do out there, Brian. Uh, we would go out and Brian would execute his end of it, and I would react to it. And that was it. That was the extent of our conversation backstage. You do what you're going to do, and I'll react off. It goes back to what I've always talked about with Bill Watts. Think, shoot, but work. If this were real, how would you react? And you don't need to sit backstage and talk for 27 hours about every time. And then when you do that, bro, when you threaten to piss in the ring, Brian. Are you going to turn right or left? They're going to pick your left nostril or your right nostril, and they're going to fart on the right side of your cheek or the left side of your cheek. <laughs> no, just do it and react to it. And we, we've, somehow that's all been lost. Uh, but Brian was so far ahead of the curve with all that, that the feet, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm proud of the feedback we're getting because, you know, sometimes people think his death as being the ultimate, I can forget about you now. And I think it's pretty hard for the wrestling industry to forget about Brian Pillman because of the stamp, the the incredibly large stamp that he left on it with that, which one of us can't remember or or recall, you know, him sitting at his house with his foot in a cast after having broken, badly broken his ankle. And, you know, the things he did in the ECW arena, it was impossible to watch Brian Pillman on camera and not be compelled to watch. One thing you didn't do with Brian Pillman is you didn't, See him on the camera, you know, or on your television screen, and say, Ah, it's him again. Let's switch the channel and come back. If Brian Pillman was on, you were compelled to watch and paying close damn attention.
0: One of the things I wanted to bring up last week and I forgot was uh, one of the great ECW commercials, you know, the t shirt commercials that literally had you run into the phone to try to get the uh, the t shirt. <laughs> But we love to show you the Brian Pillman T-shirt on ECW TV, but the censors won't allow it. I mean, something as simple as that—something <laughs> as simple as a T-shirt commercial—can get you to buy into how much of a renegade he was. And this is where I want to welcome John in here now because John did his crack research yet again. Uh, he goes above and beyond to figure out what the hot dog vendor was selling that night. You know what? Uh, how many programs? <laughs> Uh, we're sold how many uh, letters were typed inside the program, what everybody was wearing in the front row. He He goes above and beyond.
1: <laughs>
0: but, John, you know,
1: yeah.
0: not to undersell that we kind of overlooked aspects of Cyberslam 96. I mean, we gave a pretty big, you know, overview of uh, the feeling in the, the building and other things going on. but. You know, looking past uh, some of those matches, you know, it's funny that it just got kind of glanced over in the midst of talking about Brian Pillman as much as we did and covering so much ground.
2: Yeah, it's funny, like, when you you think about what was going on, we were just talking about Cyberslam, Cyberslam, but then it kind of Pillman took over, and that's kind of what he did when he was wrestling, especially when there was a loose cannon. He kind of just, like, took over, and that character took over, and he was the center point of the show, looking back and reading reviews in the show. His name was mentioned at the top each and every time. Then, when you're looking at the the results, his just name just keeps popping up, and like, wow, that promo was better than that. Was better than that. All of a sudden, it's the most rem- memorable part of that show, and that's just what Pillman was all about. And we kind of didn't talk about this champ, but we didn't talk about much the match with Cactus Jack with Mick Foley at Cyber right. And That was the really really good match. I mean, obviously Scorpio and Sabu was good as well, but those two matches are the best matches on the card. No offense to Raven and Sam, but that match was pretty disappointing, especially compared to the two (laughs) matches leading into it. And then the Pillman promo, those are the three, you know, basically highlights of Cyberslam, but it's funny that Pillman, much like in wrestling lore, much like the dirt cheese and everything, that was the memorable moment, and almost you versus Cactus was a little bit forgotten. Yeah, and that's what Brian was capable of doing.
1: You know was you know making you forget about anything else you saw and remembering what it was he did uh, on camera because it was so outlandish and and again you know we're we're talking about this in 2018 and looking back to the 1990s uh, you know it's it's so hard you know it, I always say you know we all see things through through uh, 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 uh contemporary eyes so no matter what we're talking about we're looking at it and judging it through 2018 eyes and, and brains. But when you go back and you look in, in, the, in the mainstay of what, what had always been done in the industry prior to that, and suddenly in 1990s, he's got this new upstart company that seems to be breaking every barrier. Uh, you remember, remember when uh, uh, the Ferris Bueller? you guys don't know, you're too young, but when the Ferris Giller movie came out and he broke that fourth wall talking to the camera you know that was a big deal at that time you know people talking and debating you know should he be talking to the camera and you know all of that sort of thing it's the same type of thing now I'm talking about Brian Pillman. you know that when you look at the way that he portrayed that character the loose cannon character and the, what had always been conducted in the business up to that point you know the the, the 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 general framework of the business was you go to the ring and get interviewed by Joey Styles or a Uh, Jim Ross, or a mean Gene Okerlund, and you answer his questions in character as much as you can, but it was sort of perfunctory, A, B, C, and D. Uh, Suddenly, you got Brian Pillman out there, and not only did he not know what he was going to do, but we didn't know what he was going to do. So, you know, to play off of that, you couldn't sit in the back and say, okay, now, when you turn to your left, you're going to do this or that. As, as is so prevalent in the business today. Uh, when you just go out there, and again, going back to the Bill Watts uh, mantra, think, shoot, but work. If you were in a bar, if you were in a restaurant and somebody came in and did this, how would you react? That's all you need to know. And, and the rest will fill in itself because when you react, he'll react off of your reaction. And it, it then sort of becomes a, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy is just, it just writes itself. You know, we don't need to have a teleprompter to say, okay, Brian, what are you going to say? And so I know what you're going to say. We're going to put it up here on a teleprompter for you. And then when Shane Douglas responds, we'll put that up there and, and we'll completely contrive this from the back because God knows we're so much smarter than the two guys that are executing this. Uh, and thereby you get some guy in the back who's never been in front of the camera, writing all the ins and outs of this angle and, and the verbiage spoken off this angle as, op- as opposed to just allowing the two guys who are both pretty damn good on the mic just letting them go out and do it. Uh, you know, we don't see that anymore. And, and, and you know, I, I always talk about things that in the business are broken. Uh, this is a big one. You know, this is one of those ones that you can't just sort of put on the sidelines a little asterisk and a little footnote. You know, Brian Pillman knew the loose cannon character intimately well, better than anybody else on the planet, because he created it. I knew the franchise character better than anybody else on the planet because I created it uh, and and fleshed it out. You know, so when you put these two guys in the ring, if you believe that they're as valuable as you think they are, as the reason you hired them, why not allow them to go to the ring and be themselves, execute the way they see it, as opposed to what Paul Heyman would've liked us to say, or the fans would've liked us to say, let us go out and do it. Because I assure you, if we do that, and we're both capable of carrying that commission that's placed on us, I'm guessing that the fans will follow suit. And it's, we don't we no longer see that. Now it's a teleprompter that somebody else wrote for me, which by very definition means I don't get to voice my character out. And if I don't get to voice my character out, how can I know my character? And and so we you know we can go to how many times we've mentioned this in the podcast? If you know we watch the show, the, the contemporary show, the current show, and we all roll our eyes, all of us that are wrestling fans roll our eyes and say this is awful. Not as an admonition of the kids we're watching, as an admonition of the way we're seeing it executed and played out on camera, and, and a large part of that. In my heart of hearts, I believe and know that it's because the kids have not been given a reason to learn their character. Does your character drink beer or wine? Well, what does the script say? Does your character vote left or right? What does the script say? Does your character like women or men? What does the script say? You don't know your character if you're not fleshing that character out in your tongue. And it has disastrous results. Brian Pillman knew his character intimately well, which is a large re- large portion of the reason as to why that character resonated then and still resonates now 25, 6, 7 years later and, and will always resonate because it was believable and it was real.
0: And as uh, Wise Man once said, life moves pretty fast and if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. So... Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> was, was, was that... Uh... Confucius. No, no, no. Wait, that was
0: uh, Ferris Bueller. That was Ferris Bueller. That was also my uh, my. <laughs> that was also my senior quote. I'm also uh, gonna throw that one out there. But one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But one of the themes that is kind of like, um, not really meant to be a part of this show, but will be tonight. Is just kind of how things in the wrestling business are. Just kind of. I I just feel like they're just developing way too out of control. And we'll tackle that in a little bit with a couple of things that are uh, in the news here. Um, But I want to touch on your weekend in Batavia, New York at uh, the Batavia Downs because you're on a show uh, that one of our listeners attended and uh, sent me a message and said that he didn't get a chance to meet you, but he said he watched you wrestle. You know, he had a great night. And uh, I had forgotten that you were on the show with uh, The Powers of Pain and I saw a picture of the warlord, you know, behind the guy in one of the pictures he had taken. And we had, John and I did a show down in Richmond last year. And we were around the powers of pain. We were around the Barbarian, obviously, this past May at our TNPT con. But, I mean, if there's a fountain of youth somewhere that the powers of pain have, yeah. my God. What I mean, seriously, as watching wrestling as as much as I have since 1987, I know, John, you feel the same way. To see these guys looking exactly the same when they put that makeup on is unbelievable. Yeah. And Shane, you know them very well. It's got to be cool to share a locker room with these guys and feel that same vibe coming off of them that you're still all doing your thing and you guys still you all look great and you're getting in the ring and uh, doing what you love best.
1: Well, they're both great guys. I you know I, I've, I've, I've enjoyed their friendship and
0: really loved being
1: around them all this time, learning from. I've worked quite extensively with Barbarian, not so much with uh, War, War Terry, but uh, had been on shows with both of them for decades. And you're right. I mean, you know, you, you sort of look at it and after you take a look at them in the makeup. You go back to the to the, to the bathroom and look at yourself. Man, do I fix my hair a little better? Is there, you know, am I doing something different? Uh, they, they are. They're they're astounding. They they really stop the hands of time, and you know, go out there. And I think for the fans. You know, to see these guys coming out and portraying the same characters they saw 20 years ago in WCW, WWF, you know, all the different incarnations and promotions, you see the same guys that you remember seeing. It's not like, oh, here's these guys there. You know, they're 50 pounds lighter and a whole lot more wrinkled. And, you know, I mean, they look like the powers of pain from the 1990s as much today as they did in the 1990s. and I, I couldn't agree more with you. I'm, I'm sort of envious myself as to where we find that fountain of youth because uh, I'm ready to put a private investigator on their tail and follow them to figure out where the hell it is.
0: <laughs> I don't know, Shane. I mean, that picture with Francine that was uh, surfacing from Heroes uh, the, the Heroes and Legends appearance you guys did at Fanboy... I don't know. People still uh, riding the old uh, franchise, uh, you know, looks train there. People really putting you over, saying you look like a million bucks too. So don't sell yourself short there, my friend.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you
0: know, it's, I appreciate that, but I mean, I, I watch these guys. maybe it's all in the eye of the beholder, but you know, you,
1: you watch it. Steamboat's another one. You know, if Ricky would color his hair, you know, he's got a little bit of gray on the sides. If he would color his hair, you would swear it's. <laughs> It's, he's ready to go to the ring to fight Ric Flair in a in a you know class of champions or a you know some some big papers per the NWA. Looks phenomenal, and uh, you know it's just uh, look uh, to me uh, every day above ground is a, is a blessing. So if you know if I'm gonna look at these guys and be envious of how good they look, you know I'll take that as a as, as, for all it's worth. I, it's another day above ground, but you know look, Francine and I anytime we're around each other uh you know there's just a natural chemistry there where you know we we got along very well for a lot of a lot of obvious reasons, but some that most fans probably don't know and uh you know for us to be able to go to things like this for the first time since two thousand seven you know in that time Franny had her kids, her son and her daughter, and you know that's all i I've mentioned before that's all Francine ever wanted to be was a mother, and suddenly she's Got that times too, and she's a phenomenal owner. you know. And, and so she had no desire to come back to the business, and you know, a certain franchise we we may or may not know would periodically contact her and say, "Hey, you know, there, you know a lot of people asking about you, and the fans would like to see you." Well, now that her kids have gotten old enough that she feels comfortable being away uh, from home for a day or two, uh, you know, she's gone back out there. And you've seen the results. You know, I've been phenomenal. And, I mean, let's face it, standing next to Francine, it's pretty hard to look bad. <laughs> you know, you, you <laughs> could put the, the world's ugliest guy next to her. He's going he to look better than he would by himself. But uh, it, it's just, uh, you know, for me, all, all a lesson in mortality. You know, we're all we're all going to leave this place one day, and hopefully we can all, you know, keep ourselves in the, the best shape we can be in at the, at the stage we are in our lives and and give the fans most importantly in this discussion give the fans a look back to remind them what it was they loved so much about the business when they watched
0: yeah you're right next time you talk to francine please tell her chad says hi (laughs) 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 just don't tell anybody else especially if the old uh, wifey's listening (laughs) but i doubt she is so we're in the clear but you know, just to kind of transition that into uh, what we're going to talk about here today, uh huge New Japan Pro Wrestling show taking place over the weekend in yeah. San Francisco. Uh, the G1 uh, coming over here into the United States and having a tournament again here. It's the second year uh, that they've done this show here in the States. And we had interviewed Jim Ross after it last year and kind of got the vibe from him. Now, I really did not realize the show was happening. Uh, a lot of stuff going on in the old Chadster's life, so I didn't realize it was even going on. Uh, it took uh, my, my dubious partner here, Mr. Primetime, who is going to guide Shane and I uh, through a lot of what happened on this show. Uh, but a lot of it having to do with Shane, someone you are very familiar with. Uh, and before we get into the negative part of what happened on this show, we got to talk about a positive part, and that is Haku Haku. 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 Haku, literally, from what John was telling me today and from what I read, uh, went into vintage Haku mode, and after appearing on our show last week and basically saying he was retired, uh, (laughs) single-handedly, strategically, uh, in in the storyline here, took out the Bullet Club with his sons in New Japan. So, segueing in from the Barbarian to Haku, a guy that, when you talk to both of them, Barbarian wants to know why nobody ever tested him. And Haku said nobody ever tested the Barbarian because they wanted to live. So we kind of get that dynamic (laughs) here. But Shane, Haku, again, here in 2018, still dominating the wrestling scene. I got to bring John in to ask these questions or kind of not even ask him. Manipulate the conversation. John, tell us what you saw with this Haku and and his sons, Tangaloa and, and Tamatanga, uh, taking out the Bullet Club and uh, kind of reigning supreme here, kind of uh, smartness up to what happened over the weekend here.
2: Well, that was probably my favorite part of the show. I mean, obviously, there was a ton of good wrestling action. The presentation show was great, but I loved it. Uh, Omega, the Bucks, Marty Squirrel, they're, uh, they're all out there, you know, celebrating K. Omega's big win over Cody Rhodes. So Haku and the boys come out, Tamatanga and Tangaloa, They do the the two-sweet. As soon as Omega and the guys turn their back, Haku and the boys beat the living shit out of them. But not just for two minutes. They literally had the beatdown going for ten minutes. I'm thinking in my head. I was like, just goes to show you the legit toughness of Haku really is over with the crowd. And the smart fans know, like, this guy's legit tough. His two kids must be legit tough. Because it was basically three on seven. And the three kicked the shit. I mean, obviously, Kenny Omega just, just had a 35-minute war. But, you know, and the Bucks wrestled earlier. But sort of sort of the the, the, um, the Tongans. But the Tongans beat the living hell out of him. It was a great swerve. The crowd really wasn't expecting it. Uh, it was great. And they kind of revealed themselves to be the Bullet Club firing squad in saying that Omega really was never the leader of the group. And Cody would, thought he was the leader of the group. He's not the leader. They ended up beating up Cody as well after Cody tried to take yeah. the chair. Cherish it at Tamatanga, but I just thought it was great that the night ended after four and a half hours of great wrestling action, The night ends with a Haku Powell driver on Kenny Omega on a chair.
1: Yeah, just astound me. I mean, you know, look, wrestling fans around the globe know the legitimacy of Haku, Mang, whatever you want to call him, uh, that he's out there with his kids. I, I remember when his kids were first breaking in and i would be on shows together and he would talk about the things they still have to learn or whatever but i'm so happy for him that he's gotten a chance to do it. i can't imagine how cool that would be uh to be standing in front of a you know packed house with your kids and then doing what it is you love doing and doing it at this stage of your career in a way that evokes that kind of response from the audience there wasn't a person in that building thinking I don't buy this, this guy's, you know, he's in his 50s or 60s, whatever. You know, they're watching and saying, that's Haku in there, and that guy's lethal. Uh, That's the way wrestling should be. You know, clearly, this was not a sports entertainment audience, I dare say. This was a professional wrestling audience. And demonstrate, amply demonstrates that professional wrestling is still alive and strong in America, uh, clearly. Because you see... I'll, let's face it on paper in the sports entertainment world you've got the bullet uh, the bullet club and you know you've got uh, Haku and his kids you can see on paper that okay we're gonna we're gonna go with these popular guys and not you know with the older guy. and instead they do the 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 latter not the former, and they have the fans coming unglued uh, in large part because Haku is that believable and is that real and uh, this stuff if you follow the, the just the common sense of it when you're writing it this is so easy to come to but the fact that they were able to do this and deliver it away like you said jp for 10 minutes uh you know in the cow palace which you know which is a historic building in professional wrestling lore uh You know, with so many greats, Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson, Dominic Vinucci, so many greats had segued through that building, uh, that they're able to do this and keep the crowd uh, entranced with it. Uh, A, I'm I'm thrilled, you know, for my friend Haku, uh, but also thrilled for the wrestling fans that they got the chance to see this, to see it in, in real time and in living color what professional wrestling can look like when done properly. And the fact that we had guys selling, selling their asses off, in parentheses, or else, (laughs) uh, you know, it just really underscores everything that is great about professional wrestling when done properly.
0: Now, it's unbelievable. And Haku is just so timeless, you know, and that (laughs) that intensity – uh you see you know we I'd seen him and I think we talked about it on the show. We'd seen him at uh one of the Legends conventions last year. You know, just he's, he just he's a sweetheart of a guy, but you could just see you don't want to piss him off. And Shane, I, yeah. I I said it in the intro to our episode last week the the little clip that I put out of you talking about Haku is our second most viewed clip on YouTube with 55 something thousand views. Uh, just on about a five-six minute, you know, story. Just you talking about. I called it the yeah. the myth. What did I say? The myth, the carnage, and the truth, or watching the tr- watching the carnage <laughs> unfold, or something like that. But you know, to see it happening here with his sons involved, we've interviewed both of his sons, and like you said, just you know, two very nice guys, uh, brought up yeah. the right way in a family. And actually, we were told at the time that his son uh, Tama Tonga it was his first interview done in the United States. So that was a very cool uh, thing that we were able to to accomplish with having on Tama. But, you know, obviously they're learning from the right guy. But I believe, John, and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, that Haku did not really have a hand in training the kids. That it was more them kind of going off and doing their own thing. Am I right in saying that?
2: Yes. Yeah, he really,
0: uh, you know, as far as in-ring getting in with them and stuff, he didn't. But I know,
2: you know from what they've said and from from. Some other interviews they've done, they they learn a lot from him, but not physically in the ring. He didn't really step in the ring and, and train them that way. Uh, they were trained elsewhere. But when he's your dad, and he, you know, obviously you know <laughs> he may be adopted or not, but obviously Tanga Low, there's some blood there. And when he's your dad and you're around him that long, you're gonna pick up some stuff. You're gonna learn some stuff as well. Well, sure.
1: And, and you know, the bottom line, all of this is the bottom line is New Japan. Has one incredibly hot storyline on their hands. Uh, nobody's sitting there and saying, "Well, look, there's a guy that, you know, used to wrestle in WWE." They're all saying, "Did you see what happened to Kenny Omega and, and, and all of his boys? You know, Cody Rhodes. that They got beaten down in the Cow Palace on this show. People are talking, and I heard it from some wrestling fans earlier today." At the grocery store, asked if I would seen the show, and I told him I hadn't seen the show. But as soon as I said that, they said, "Well, you missed your your friend Haku and blah blah blah." I mean, that to me tells me that the money is in what they've done, you know, done done properly. How many times I've said in this show, if you do it properly, if the old saying goes, "If you build it, they will come." If you do it properly, the fans will come, and. They, they proved that definitively at the New Japan show on the 7th in the Cow Palace. Uh, Cody Rhodes has proven it, as, as his entire gang has, with the All In show coming up in Chicago. The vestiges of professional wrestling are still strong in this country. It's just been that there's been no major company providing it to the audience.
0: Now, this is another thing here for John, because he's the, uh, he's the resident current uh, wrestling business expert. Uh, with these two guys now taking on this role inside of New Japan, and obviously two more, you know, I, I mean, I'm going to say they're American only because they're from America, but you've got them. You've got obviously Kenny Omega is from Canada, Cody Rhodes from America. Mm-hmm. You've got the Bullet Club, you know, three quarters of them are, are American. Is it kind of to help them get over here into the States that they're loading up on the Gaijin wrestlers? Because. It's surprising that they all have these big spots. And obviously, we're going to get to the injury that happened here in the uh, the Dragon League yeah. Takahashi match. But, John, you know, like, where is this coming with all these two Japan international wrestlers? Are they being pushed just to help them kind of get that stranglehold here in the States?
2: Yes. But it, it's, it's weird because I honestly don't think that it's needed as much as they think that it's needed. Like, they wanted to have. Um, Omega and Rhodes. This is the second year in a row with their big shows over here that Cody is in the main event. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but obviously the fans are so accustomed to Okada and Tanahashi and Naito that e- those guys could have easily main event of the show and you would have got the same crowd and the same audience. So I feel like New Japan in, in a way is underestimating that their own Japanese guys because go to one of the shows, those guys are the most over guys, Period. I mean, obviously, Bullet Club is over, and, and obviously, Kenny Omega is super over, but those guys, are, Naito, get huge pop. Uh, Okada, huge pop. Tanahashi still gets a big pop. So I feel like they underestimated those guys a little bit, but if you look at Omega, who's obviously the, the top dog in New Japan right now, you look at Cody, they not only headlined this show, which did 6,500 people... They headlined the Ring of Honor show a few months back in April, and they did 6,000 people's. So it is a formula that definitely 100% works. I feel like the New Japan guys could main event. It could still do as good. But obviously, I think they're going with a formula that is definitely working right now because Omega is one of the biggest stars in the world. And Cody yeah. is super, super, super over. And he just continues to prove it and continues to draw well each and every time.
1: Yeah, no, no question about that. I, I, I know for a fact that New Japan Pro Wrestling and AXS, uh, AXS, the network, uh, had wanted to pair New Japan Wrestling with something that was more homegrown to sort of expand that horizon. Uh, I, I think it was sort of a, 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 not an educated move on their part because wrestling fans, this kind of, again, like I talked before about the, the internet, You know, back in the 90s when we were in ECW, it was in its infancy. But today, literally, we can talk seamlessly with anybody around the world. And wrestling fans, that vast majority, I don't have to throw them through the numbers again. Everybody knows them. But that vast majority of wrestling fans that have left sports entertainment, uh, the 95% that have left sports entertainment, that were wrestling fans, they're keenly aware of New Japan and all all their stars. You know, Japanese and American and Canadian, uh, all of their roster. Um, so, I, I, but what I liked about this show, being that it was in San Francisco at the Cow Palace, was that it did incorporate all of these like, what you would term gaijin, uh talent uh, that were there, that gave the fans that were in that building a feeling that it was the best of both worlds. You know, we've got the best of the Japanese wrestlers. We've got the best of the international wrestlers like Kenny Omega and and even the American wrestlers. It really gave the fans, and then you add Jim Ross as an announcer, uh, you know, and you go through the whole mantra of how that show was presented. To me, it was the best of everything. Like, you know, the old-time promoters used to say, you know, you want a little bit of everything at Thanksgiving dinner, right? And so... If you look at this show, you got a little bit of everything. You had the best that the world has to offer today in professional wrestling, which is, I think, by in large part, why you saw the reaction that we did in the audience and that we had the turnout that we did and that we have people talking this week like we do about this show. It wasn't happenstance. It didn't happen by coincidence. It happened because it was very cogently designed and put the best that, you know, all wrestling fans, regardless of where you reside, know that Japanese wrestlers are always incredibly damn good at what they do. And those same fans are also well knowledgeable about your Kenny Omega's and your Cody Rhodes and your, your bullet clubs and all the rest of it. So uh, this to be on paper appears to be a show that is a current, 2018 wrestling fans, wet dream. And it seems that the show delivered on everything that was promised. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see a bad score in any of the matches. I think B minus or B was the the least I had seen. And everything, when I read the analysis of each of the matches, seemed to be that it, it exceeded everything that was expected of that match. When you have that, uh, you know, especially like this on a big foray into a foreign country from a foreign company like new Japan pro wrestling. Uh, I would call that a home run. You know, it's, you know, it doesn't, home run is when you have to pack every seat in the place. And it's all people talk about 24 seven. Keep in mind, this is a Japanese company coming to uh, an American venue and bringing in these wrestlers from around the world and delivering an incredible product. That's what the power of professional wrestling brings. And the fact that they did so successful, uh, that they were so successful at what they were bringing here, kudos to them. Keep doing it, and you're going to only grow from here.
0: Yeah, and that was really, I mean, there was a lot of positive stuff that came out of it, but we the one thing I want to touch on that was the negative was this, uh, this injury to, uh, what is it, John, Hiramohu or Hi- Hiromu Takahashi? Is that how you say it? Hiromu, yeah. Hiromu Takahashi taking an absolutely vicious, vicious move from Dragon Lee um, that caused him to possibly break his neck. I mean, I don't know if that's the, uh, the updated prognosis, but a vicious, vicious, just sick, sick move that you see yeah. him folded up like an accordion and kind of like where I know it's not the, you know, flippy floppy, you know, the the very choreographed jumping and the kicks and this and that. I know it's none of that. I don't want to sound like an old geezer fan or a jaded fan here and, and saying this, but. You knew it was gonna happen eventually that somebody was gonna get really, really hurt in this new yeah. uh, like thriving for this strong style and for the snug moves and for things to look real. Uh you knew somebody was bound to get hurt. Will Osprey nearly ended his career uh right around WrestleMania time, uh, with an absolutely ridiculous move that, you know, folded him up like an accordion, but Shane John sent us the little uh, the little GIF animation of this move, and it was—it's a sickening uh, view if you see it just in a short glimpse. But just getting able to see that, and obviously your time in the business—I mean—is it—is you know, it going too far with some of these risks that guys are taking? I mean, I know that was as simple as it, what could have been a German suplex or whatever the move is called, and that's where I defer again to John. But with, that was a little unsettling to see that. That was—that uh, was kind of unnecessary for it to look like that.
1: Well, you know, first of all, I'm a strong advocate of strong style. You know, it's, uh, you know, our business is not meant to look like a ballet, and it shouldn't. Uh, that said, the what was pounded into us, literally and figuratively, uh, from a very young age in the business was, if I know, if I don't know, 100 percent, that I can execute this move safely on you, and I don't do it. Uh, this isn't just, hey, let's let's throw Chadster however I want to and cross my fingers and hope that he's okay. No, if I don't know that I can execute that move, strong style or otherwise, uh, if you use sports entertainment. Uh, if you want to go with the flimsiest of the business, you never execute a move that you don't know you can execute uh, safely and proficiently 100% of the time now. That said, you you can already hear the the, the trolls, right? Well, then how does anybody ever get hurt? Well, in in our business, which is an inexact science, you can't say, even if executed perfectly, that an injury won't incur. But what you can say is a move executed properly, greatly, exponentially reduces the risk of injury. You know, I asked Kevin Sullivan about a year ago, you know, uh, how many times in your career were you injured to the point, not not a you know a slight you know he sprained this or tore that whatever, injured to the point that you could not go to the ring? And he said one time in his last match before he you know re- re- retired from main you know from you know wrestling full time. But at that point, he had had over thirty thousand matches. Now, when you put that into context. You know, in, in the overall scheme of things, when you look, especially if you go back and look at Kevin Styles' style, uh, he wasn't exactly, you know, a, a sports entertainer that was, you know, stomping his foot and missing you by six inches. You know, Kevin Sullivan wrestled a very snug style, very, a very solid style. So you, you can't place the two in one place. You can't say strong style or snug style leads to injuries. They can lead to injuries. No more, no less than could uh, sports entertainment, you know, a loose style. Uh, what what does lead to injury is when somebody executes a move that they don't know 100% of the time they can execute safely. Uh, and when you do that, you know, like I said, even in that world, injuries can still happen, but it greatly reduces the chance of those injuries. So for me, as a wrestling fan and somebody who spent a considerable portion of my adult life in the wrestling industry. I I much prefer that snug style and for somebody to lay something in that I can feel as opposed to something you're missing by six inches. But please don't ever just throw me however which way you want, like we saw in this video. When I saw that video, I it, it takes a lot for me to cringe when I see something. And before the impact, I could see what was coming. And I cringed a second and a half before the impact because i could see what was coming uh you know that's you know now i don't know if if this was you know something that they had laid out and uh, uh you know the, the guy taking it had, had just missed you know had just improperly executed his side of it from dragon League. but uh and watching that video it just makes you cringe because from the appearance of that video it doesn't look like that move could be done with any great degree of safety. You know, that just, if you look at that video as plays out, if you've never seen a move before, and I'd never had seen that move before, and you see the way he's moving forward, the only thing for the guy to do is the pancake flat, which sort of lessens the, the impact of what he's trying to do. So uh, I would love to hear those guys that were in the ring, as to what their interpretation was of that video, because if if he was supposed to pancake when Dragon Lee threw him, then then you know the onus is on him. but it looks to me from the way it's executed that he was it was meant to be sort of a rolling type impact uh, And like I said, when I watched it the first time I, I literally like cringed up watching it you know because I, I could see what was coming. Uh, and you know we never ever want to see anybody injured. The, the last thing in the world I want is to end up in a match where somebody is crippled or maimed or, or, or seriously injured, knowing that any of us can get injured on any given night on, on some as simple as body slam. But when you start taking risks with what you're doing, okay, I can hit this move 75 or 85, even 95% of the time, that still leaves a 5% chance you can fuck things up. And when you fuck things up in our business, people get hurt and people can get seriously hurt. As we saw with draws with, uh, you know, an improperly taking or the way it was executed. It's all interpretation. We've seen people die off of silly stunts, like, uh, like on heart. Uh, the, the, the margin of error in our business is not necessarily unkind. Uh, you know, it's, it can be very unkind, as we've seen with Owen and with Draws, and now with this uh, video that we see out of the uh, Japan show in uh, uh, the Cow Palace. So, you know, if, if you can't, for all the, the younger talent out there, <clears throat> you come up with some really cool move until you, until you can execute that move proficiently, 100% of the time, without injuring the person you're doing it to then you should never try that on camera just to wow the crowd. Uh, that cheapens uh, the value of safety we have in this business uh, when done properly and uh, it does very relatively little to elevate the talent executing the move. So if you go out and just do a move that you're not certain you can hit safely and you start hurting people and potentially breaking their neck, uh there's you know there's not much you can do from that from a standpoint of a promotional standpoint I, I i know how odd that sounds coming from you know the guy who was involved in gary wolf breaking his neck uh but what we had done at that time by comparison was tame to what we saw in that move and you know i, I maintain that, that move was improperly taken by gary wolf uh but again, comparison to comparison, apples to apples, the move that we had done that resulted in Gary Wolf with a very significant and very serious broken net uh, was tame in comparison to what I saw in that video. I, I don't know how else that move could have been taken or delivered that it didn't end up in the same way that, that it did with somebody being injured. Scary.
2: Now, those two wrestled in Mexico a lot, wrestled in against each other. I mean, it's the great rivalry. They have just amazing chemistry together. And then they wrestle in the States, obviously they wrestle a lot in, in Japan. Now, usually when he does that move, the dragon driver, he usually kind of holds them and cradles them. It's still got to have some sort of impact on your head and neck. Cause it's, it's it's a vicious move, but he usually holds him and almost cradles them in and almost holds onto it and, and brings him down. This time he kind of launched them a bit. And I know maybe they were, Trying for something different or whatever, but man, uh, those two—some of the moves that they do are scary, and they take an exorbitant amount of risks. And their match and Takahashi, arguably the best—you know, cruiserweight slash light heavyweight, whatever you want to call him—arguably the best. But man, is he risky in the ring and does some crazy, crazy moves? Now they're saying um, that he—he's he, not that's the point where you know, can wrestle, it as I said. He's okay, he's sitting up, he's talking, but they do think he suffered a broken neck and they do think sometime down the road that he could possibly, possibly return, but you gotta think that a broken neck this guy's style has gotta change a little bit, don't you think? Oh, look, I mean when
1: you start talking about a broken neck, you know, everything goes out the window, you know, because you know, somebody can have a broken neck and return with relatively few residual effects. Uh, physically, uh, physical effects, and somebody else could end up in a wheelchair uh, for the rest of their life. You know, the, the, the neck and back are, you know, still a, pretty much a mystery to the medical field. But, uh, you know, this is the risk you put in. If you have to push the gambit so far that, you know, you're getting into the gray area when it comes to the safety factor, to me, that's not worth it. You know, I don't want to go out there and say, hey, we can hit this 97 times out of 100. Those other three times, you might end up crippled for the rest of your life. Uh, That's not a risk I'm willing to take, whether executing or taking. Um, You know, we have to keep some semblance of modicum of safety in what we do. I mean, you know, on any given night, I could body slam somebody and, you know, them being sweaty or whatever, lose them. Uh, there's a a slight difference in that as opposed to executing a movement. Again, you watch that video and you you see, you know, his head being driven into the mat. I mean, for somebody that's been in the ring as long as I've been in, it makes you physically cringe because you see what's coming. I mean, it's, you know, it's not just the impact of the injury, the injury and the impact of that injury. Uh, or the injury of that impact, I mean to say, uh, you look at that and you realize how quickly on, on a dime something could change. You know, ideally, I'm going to go have a beer afterwards and, you know, have, have worked the crowd and given the crowd their money's worth. I don't want to be sitting in a dressing room in my hotel room thinking, I hope my opponent uh, is okay at the hospital. You know, I hope he's not crippled for the rest of his life. Uh, it's, a, it's a really f- fine line and, uh, that separates the safety factor from the, uh, the danger factor. But, you know, it's one you can't ignore. You can't just throw caution to wind and think that however it turns out, it turns out. That, to me, is being completely unprofessional and, and unnecessarily so. All it takes is a little bit of thought and forethought, like I've always said. We are only limited by what we can create in our heads. And so if all I can create is here's something with a relatively good chance of you getting hurt, uh, that ain't worth the risk to me. And I would never execute a move like that.
2: Definitely a risky business as far as pulling that move off with those guys. Definitely have a unique style where they definitely kind of go uh, balls to the wall and do a lot, a lot of risky moves. If you've seen Takahashi, won the best of Super Juniors this year. He's a tremendous athlete. He had a great match with Ishimori to kind of cap off that huge, huge tournament. They took a lot of risks and a lot of craziness. But you see, and this is where I got to throw this out there, you see star ratings. Start to pop up, and, you know, Meltzer right. pumping up the match, and then, you know, he kind of, on, on Twitter, you know, obviously, you get the trolls going after him. Oh, you, you give more star ratings for more risk and stuff. Do you think there is somewhat a, of a wrestler nowadays looking at them like, oh, if I try this and I do that, I am going to get a little bit more recognition. Or people are people going to say this is a great match? Absolutely. This high spot, and this crazy risk.
1: Absolutely. You know, we're given credence where credence shouldn't be given, you know, if if my, my concern is I've got to impress a guy who writes a dirt sheet, uh, regardless of how intelligent Dave is or isn't about the business or, uh, that he's the go-to that the mainstream media comes to. If all I've got to do is impress him, well, I can go out and stick a stick of dynamite up your ass and and light it and (laughs) blow you to pieces. Uh, that isn't necessarily the arbiter, of what is a good match, a great match, a shitty match? Uh, you know, ultimately, it, it, regardless of who's booking it, who's writing about it, uh, who's watching it, ultimately, the bottom line to me, the final analysis is: it, it, it must be. Can I do it safely? And if I can, you know, again, like in a body slam, I can. Like, slip and drop him and you can end up with a serious injury but when you watch the execution of this move it uh, it, it just speaks to me so much of what I've seen in, in the industry as a whole lately as everybody just keeps elevating it okay well you you, you fell 10 feet I'm going to fa- fall 12 feet well that guy then says well you fell 12 feet I'm going to fa- fall 15 feet and you threw a guy this way and to throw a guy that way it, this one upsmanship but I dare say that Lou Fez and Harley Race and uh, you know, the greats of uh, the Danny Hodges and uh, you know, all the greats of our business and then later to the Bruno San Martinos and Ric Flair's and uh, Ricky Steamboats and Terry Funks, they weren't trying to one up anybody. They were going out and next a move is a move. It should be relatively the same when you do it or Chad does it or I do it or Joe Blow does it. There may be some slight differences in the way that we execute that makes it personal to our character. But, you know, if you're giving a body slam and scooping a guy and, and dropping him uh, and landing him, well, what if I climb on top of five tables and pick a guy up and scoop and throw him? And one of the next guy climbs on top of ten tables and picks a guy up and him and throws him. At some point, you're reaching a point where it cannot be done safely any longer. So it shouldn't be about whether or not you can impress a guy riding a sheet uh, or uh, the commentator sitting at ringside. It should be can you, the, the very first portion of any uh, equation should be can you do it safely? Once you feel that you can do that, then you can worry about the esoterics, like a guy writing a sheet, the announcer talking about it from ringside, uh, or the fans watching in the stands. But the first uh, step of any executing of a move, especially is a new move or you know someone's pushing the boundaries, must be: can I do it safely? And do it safely the vast majority of times in my my sense would be, can you do it a hundred percent of the time safely? If not, don't ask me to take it. If you're telling me you can hit it 99%, me, I've always had sort of bad luck. So I'm not going to push that, the envelope. You know, if if you can hit it 99% of the time, well, what if I'm the 100th guy you do it to? And I end up hurt on it. The one thing that really doesn't, Absolve it as you coming back as I'm being, you know, carted to the hospital with a broken neck. is you coming back and saying, "Gee, franchise, I'm sorry." You know, I under I appreciate the sentiment, but my career could be ended. And so, how will I make a living for my family? Feed my family, put a roof over their head. Safety must be the 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 first part of any equation in sports entertainment and professional wrestling and anything we're doing that is a work contrived sport. We have to make sure that safety is of the utmost importance.
2: Now, Kenny Omega, we've talked about him a few times, obviously, on the show. We also talked about how he's definitely a future star, if not a current you know, big star as far as drawing power and drawing more in the States. He actually even had his own show with the CEO gaming industry and New Japan kind of teamed up a few weeks back and they had a show which drew pretty well down in Florida. So, Kenny I mean, right. he kind of is really, really cementing himself not only as a huge draw in Japan and now becoming a huge draw in the States and being the IWGP world champion, ending Okada's two-plus-year run with the title. That also helps make him a, a big star. What are your kind of thoughts on him being, and obviously, you know, he's in his mid to late 30s, he's not going to be a future star, he's kind of current star, but what are your thoughts on him kind of elevating himself to that level where he is the draw for all these shows?
1: Well, considering the fact, you know, when we look at the, the professional wrestling industry, sports entertainment industry in America, as has been for the last 30 plus years, it's pretty hard to imagine that a guy working for a foreign company uh, could make his name there and become that big a star here. I, I think it speaks of Kenny Omega's talent, you know, that he's been willing to go out there and find those angles with a Chris Jericho uh, and, you know, to do the things that he's done to cross sort of cross promotional uh, uh, promote shows between the different promotions you know so you've got chris jericho coming from the wwe wrestling kenny omega at a major new japan uh event and now the stuff they've been doing here in america you know kenny omega is setting the standard you know contrary to what is the mainstream thought in our business if i need if i'm going to make it i need to go to the wwe and yet he's been able to prove that that's not necessarily the case, that there's another route, you know, and you know the fact that he's been so successful at what he's doing, uh, it only brings credence to New Japan and to independent wrestling in America, but it also brings credence to the industry. And so that Kenny Omega has been able to make himself one of the names in the industry, and hasn't had to go the route. I mean let's face it, in America, the WWE seems to be the end all be all. If you're gonna make it, you gotta make it. You what's that old song and that old TV show? If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. Uh you know, if you if you can make it in the WWE, then you've apparently made it in 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 the sports entertainment slash wrestling industry. Kenny Omega's rewritten those rules. He's done all of this. He's never, to my knowledge, been under contract with the WWE and been able to do it in a way that, you know, as you read, with again, the advent of the social medias and the sheets and everything else, as the wrestling industry has been put on the back burner in America, guys like Kenny Omega have, through sheer will and the support of the promoters they're working for, been able to carve out a large chunk of the pie for himself. He's been able to craft a character that has resonated with the audience and has shown that there still is a place for that kind of guy in the industry and not have to kiss a certain promoter's ass, literally or figuratively speaking. Uh, So kudos to him that he's been able to do that. But it shows what I've said all along, that there is another route. Uh, it may not be the easiest route, but there still is another route that you can take. And if you look at Kenny Omega's lead, you can do it and be uh, make a shitload of money doing it, make yourself a household worldwide name in doing so. And let's face it, if you can do that at any point, you can go to that other promotion and make some money and make a name uh, there as well but that he's been able to do that outside of the parameters of what most young wrestlers in our industry today would see as the only avenue. Kenny Omega has proven that there is still another avenue to make a name for yourself and make a shitload of money. Again, kudos to him for it, much in line with what we've seen with the All In Show in Chicago. The fact that these kids could go out and, and first of all, have the balls to spend their own money to rent this building, and the venue, and then sell it out in, what, 26 or 29 minutes, just underscores uh, the renegade attitude of these younger wrestlers, that they're not going to follow the mantra of, well, you got to go to the WWE to make it. Uh, they're proving that they can go out and make it without having to do that. And to me, that is uh, eloquent and beautiful that they can do that. Uh, kudos to, to all of them that are, that are doing it and undertaking the effort to, to do that with their own characters.
2: I love that Omega. It doesn't seem like right now has any interest in the WB, and I feel like that just brings his stock up even further. And every time you kind of say no to them, you know that you know that they're desperate and they want to want <laughs> you back even more. Cody Rhodes, you know that they supposedly reached out to him, they wanted to back. He said no. So you know it's just going to make them want more and more, and I don't think Cody will go back. But I just love the fact that Omega's stock is so high, and he just doesn't seem like he has any interest in, in WB. So that makes, in my mind, and I think a lot of the fans of mine, I think it makes his stock rise a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Overall, I have to say, as far as that show, the G1 special show at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, great show. Um, I mean, the injury withstanding and the minor G- Jim Ross injury was standing. Uh, I just thought that was a a, a great show, um, great production value. The way it was presented, like a sport, and they just, just kind of kept going with good match after good match was was just you know, very enjoyable for me as a fan of what I'm looking for as a wrestling fan. So Juice sure. Robinson versus Jay White was great. Juice Robinson didn't even throw a punch in the match, and it was just really executed well. I felt like he got the crowd into a great match. And obviously Omega versus Cody Rhodes is a great match. A couple really risky high spots, but typical for an Omega match. I mean, he's definitely going to do that. But that was just a great match. So I just wanted to get your take on this because we did send this to you. And sometimes when we send stuff to you, we just love the response because we know the response we're having. (laughs) We know the response you're going to have. So I go from that, a great show, you know, the G1 special. And then I go back and I watch the YouTube clip of Braun Strowman and Kevin Owens and the porta potty incident from last week. I'm raw. I'm thinking, wow, this is what I like as far as New Japan. The, the presentation, everything was great. And then I go watch YouTube on Raw. See, this is exactly what I don't like about wrestling, and exactly, exactly. how I wouldn't want guys to be pushed. What are your thoughts on on Strowman, the porta potty thing, and you know, basically making Owens look like a piece of shit? Yeah. <laughs> well, first off,
1: how long have you been watching wrestling?
2: Since eighty-five, so was that thirty-three years? So pretty long time. Okay. So
1: so for a long time you've been a fan and love the professional wrestling industry. Obviously, you're doing podcasts, multiple podcasts, successful podcasts. You know, you you follow this a lot more closely than most of us do currently. Uh for you to, to to watch that and say that this foreign import, this uh Company that is largely unknown to the vast majority of the masses in America and Japan. That that show satiated your appetite for what you love about professional wrestling, and then you turn this on because the clip. I we we've, we've got to talk about this clip because uh, obviously <laughs> I didn't see it because I don't watch the WWE. But when I watch this clip, it like with a highlighter underscored. If you put a neon light on it, this is exactly. What is wrong with sports entertainment? So, you have Braun Strowman, and all the fans are familiar with Braun, a big, impressive guy that can go. Uh, and just let me give you my impressions of what I saw on this clip. First of all, when you see him out there and, and Kevin Owens is, uh, you know, saying that he's going to lock up with Braun, you can see several hesitant steps in Braun. It looks sort of like a green kid, not sure, should I try to lock up or shouldn't I? That's the first thing I noticed. Then, later in the clip, you see him going back and he does it. For anybody who hasn't seen it, please pull this clip up because it is exactly what you hate about sports entertainment. Uh, he then is backstage and trying to find a place to hide. In the myriad of places, in, a, in a, a huge arena with all these cars and places to try to find, he goes back and he decides he's going to hide this porta john And when he hides in there, how does Braun Strowman find him? He smells them. He, he walks by and sort of like a, like a, like a bloodhound. He smells them and decides to go over and then tape him into this thing. Now, Braun Strowman, you know, typically when you're building a big monster type guy, like I apparently they're trying to do with Braun Strowman, you want to make this guy look invincible, right? And so he pulls this heavy portage on all the way out through the backstage area and up into the stage area and up onto the stage and by the time he gets there, you can see he's blown sky high and clearly winded. Not the exact kind of look you want for your monster killer guy. And then they do this thing where he's, he's gonna, he's not gonna, he's gonna, he's not gonna. And finally he knocks the portage on at the end of the stage. And <laughs> you see Kevin Owens, who, let's face it, you know Ke- Kevin Steen is an impressive performer, uh, a damn good worker. And the best that you can come up with is to demean him in such a way as just to elevate this other guy and something I think they missed in doing because of what I just stated. But they then put him out there to get knocked over and he's got blue paint. What looks like blue paint. all over. Him. Apparently supposed to look like the blue uh, that they put in a portage on that none of us ever want to find out what it looks like or feels like. Uh, but to me, it looked like, uh, what was my comment? Uh, I didn't know Kevin Steen was a was a, uh, a Vulcan. Or, or he said, <laughs> JP, a Smurf. Uh, <laughs> failed on every level. So in a week that you compare with this outstanding show that New Japan puts on in America, and this is the the quote-unquote best that the WWE can give us with their top stars, if that's the parameters of the war, then... <laughs> It's all over with the fat lady singing. Uh, you know, I, I would say that it's going to go down in the annals of time that Vince McMahon was able to sell SmackDown for the price that he did to Fox. And I would dare say that, you know, you, you can't argue with success. Vince has made a lot of money at doing this. But the fact that he was able to sell that show, his B show, the A show is awful. So you can imagine how bad the B show is for that price that it simply has more to do with the fact that there's zero competition as seen by the major entities like Fox and Comcast and the rest of these uh, outlets. But when you see the reaction that the New Japan show is getting, and then you see that kind of a clip, I've got to believe that a Fox executive sitting and watching those two things has got to think, have we done the right thing? Did we do what we were supposed to do in in a fiduciary response to our investors and our uh, and our followers? Uh, You can't watch any any of those clips and compare them and think that this one's sort of close. uh, You know, this WWE clip is sort of close to what we saw in New Japan. One is clearly superior to the other, and in my estimation for what it's worth, I mean, I've only been in the business for 39 years, uh, that if New Japan can come and consistently put on these kind of shows, which I have no doubt they can do, then you have to ask yourself, is there really going to be an open competition? Uh, I've believed for years, as you guys both know, I've beaten your ears privately how many times. I think the, the, the stage is set. For a monumental battle between sports entertainment and professional wrestling. Uh, we'll see. But if, if garnering off these two entities that we saw, the, the New Japan clips that we saw, and then this Braun Strowman, nothing against Braun Strowman or Kevin Steen, they were doing what the writers that have never been in the ring told them to execute. And, you know, from a performer standpoint, From a wrestling standpoint, you see the weaknesses that I point out about Braun Strowman in this attempt to get this killer monster over. They fed a very talented uh, wrestler in Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, to him, made him look like shit in the process of doing it. And then in the process of executing this, made Braun Strowman look like a blown up big guy which is not exactly, I would hope, not what they were endeavoring to do. Uh, but, uh, again, again, on paper, you can sit there and write whatever you want. You know, I, I can write, Braun Strowman's going to, you know, rip open his shirt and have an S underneath there and fly around the arena. If he can't fly, my, my, my skit's going to look pretty silly. Um, but when you have a guy carting, I, I don't know how much one of those Porta weighs, with Kevin Steen weighing, I'm guessing, in the 230, 240 range. And then the portage on whatever it was, dragging that through all this backstage area and then out, you know, to the stage area and then up onto the main stage area. Did anybody, did any of those writers, did any of those directors or producers think? This is gonna be a pretty hard thing for him to do and not look blown up. Um nothing against Braun. <laughs> I would be blown up too. I, I wouldn't have gotten half the way that he got as far as he had gotten it. <laughs> but on paper, this looks like shit. So I would beg the question, who in God's name is clearing this shit to allow it, that to be put out there? Because if your intention was to put Braun Strowman out there to look superhuman and uh, like a killer monster, you failed spectacularly in doing that. In the same time in doing that, you fed up a very talented wrestler that, that helped you draw money and made him look like a buffoon in the process of doing that. So somebody from the WWE, please tell me what was the upside of doing this angle? It looked like shit. It came off like shit on paper. It looked like shit. So what buffoon, uh, okayed that and pushed that to the forefront and said, I got a great idea. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in their production meetings that comes up with this stuff because it's, I'd love to see the person that's going to raise their hand today and say, uh, that was mine franchise. I I came up with that because if so, they got bigger balls than I got.
2: Do you think because of the lack of competition, and the fact that Vince can just kind of do whatever he wants and almost get away with it, and still get a good deal from USA, still get an amazing deal from Fox. Do you think that he ever just kind of like laughs and says like I'm just gonna, gonna, you know throw this out there. You know maybe he doesn't like Owens this week, or maybe the rumors are true that he got a little bit of heat, or you know whatever the reason could be. Do you think he just like oh watch this, I'm gonna make this a complete mockery? If you ever think that that comes to his mind, like it's almost like a joke in his head, like, oh, you know, watch how bad I can make it, and these people will still pay? From my
1: perspective, that's what it looks like every week.
2: Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, look, I, everybody
1: knows I've disdain for the, for their product and their show and the way they execute it. But when you watch this again on paper, uh, you know, this isn't rocket science. You're not, <laughs> again, back to Bill Watts. When splicing splicing the atom, we're not curing cancer. Uh you're looking at this on paper, did, did anybody stop to think? Let's take this Braun Strowman clip. Did anybody stop to think, hey, he's going to be pulling that, uh, that I don't know, four or five hundred pound bathroom, you know, 200 yards, 300 yards, 50 or whatever it was. But clearly it was not to blow him up. And did anybody think about that? Do you think Vincent Mann went out there and tested it and said, let me try it and see if I can do it at my age. And if I can do it he <laughs> should be able to do it easily. Uh, no. And so when you look at this, you have to believe that a large portion of what's going into this is that because of the, the lack of competition, that what do they have to compare themselves against? So we don't have to be better than the other company. All we have to be is what we are. So, if we suck this week, what else are the fans going to watch? It, it, you know, it's, it's, again, when I watched this, I, like I said, I would be, I would welcome to have any WWE writer on this podcast. The open invitation is there. Come on here and explain what the reasoning was behind that segment or whatever other segment. And if I can't tear it to shreds, I'll be the first to tell you, you're right and I'm wrong. Uh, but I think that. On paper, that looks like shit. So I don't see how this big, dumb wrestler in New Brighton, Pennsylvania could figure this out. And yet, these brilliant television executives that have been doing this for decades couldn't figure this out. There was no chance for that to come off without blowing that kid up. So nothing against Braun Strowman. There was not a thing he did wrong other than executing what they wrote for him to do. And if you tell me to go out and pull... You know, a 500 pound sled with the rest. Of it. I, I, and I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just taking a stab at this, but I'm guessing that that Portageon didn't weigh 70 pounds. Uh, so if you take Kevin uh, Owens, Kevin Steen's weight and the weight of the bathroom and dragging it along in that backstage chair, you can see at one point he gets caught up on something and exacerbatedly, uh, you know, he sort of kicks it off and keeps dragging it out there. And it looks like he pulled that thing for a considerable length of space, and then to have to—he looked blown up when he first got it through the curtain. Then he had to pull it up onto the stage area, and you know, put it this way: if he wasn't blown up, he did a, an Academy Award-winning job of looking like he was blown up. Uh, on paper, you could tell that. You know, anybody that had been in the ever been in the ring, and executed something even remotely like this, you would know that that's going to be a very difficult, if not impossible thing to carry out and execute on camera and not blow up. You know, we, you and I sitting here talking, have no idea how hot the building was that night. Uh, you know, based off of how warm the temperatures been around the country the last week, I'm guessing that wasn't a comfortable building. Uh, you know, and, and again, how far he had to pull it. Uh, to me, when you're going to feed up a talent, uh, as as professional and good as Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, I, I always bounce the two dancier off for everything in Kevin Steen, and uh, do that. You know, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, we're to get Braun Strowman over, but you have to also think if you're prescient enough, you're burying somebody else who's pretty considerable on a roster, and then to do this in a way and have this kid that's supposed to be this killer monster come off looking like he's blown up and like his, his tongue's going to become a bow tie. Uh, again, nothing against brawn. It's just this, this angle being written. You're not going to go to your boss and say, Hey Vince, I don't think I can do this or whoever wrote it. I don't think I can do this or it's going to blow me up if I do do this. So you go out and execute like they tell you to do. And it comes off looking exactly like it looked on the show. Uh, if anybody sits back today and says, golly gee whiz, I didn't know that was going to be the outcome. Then you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> uh, it, it clearly is what it is. And, you know, if you're going to sacrifice one of your top workers and make another guy that you're trying to build him to be this killer monster as being blown up when he's trying to do this. I, somebody please explain the positive side to that. Okay. well, yeah, but Shane, what you don't understand is fill in the blank. Uh, I don't see it.
0: You said once on this show that you felt that Braun Strowman had Undertaker-like potential with how they were building him at a certain point. But then we saw him, we've covered it. We literally, in the year we've done this show, we've covered the highest highs that he had. But then we covered him with the bass fiddle or whatever the hell he had with that gimmicked instrument. Stupidity. And then we saw him win the Tag Team Championship at WrestleMania with a little boy, a 12-year-old boy, whatever the hell it was. So they've attempted to castrate this really only monster that they've got because outside of maybe a Roman Reigns or a John Cena, who's not a uh, an everyday performer anymore, not a lot of guys look like wrestlers. And Braun Strowman, obviously, it's uh, missing the boat huge, but it transitions into a guy that the WWE may be losing here. And Shane, this past weekend at UFC 226, the WWE Universal Champion Brock Lesnar confronts Daniel Cormier after his yeah. victory in uh, what was a pretty shocking moment for uh, for the WWE and for wrestling because their champion may be either strategically leaving uh, and putting them in a lurch, or as we've said by, in the past, by the balls, uh, or this could be a really calculated move here by all parties involved. But what do you think of Brock showing up after uh, this UFC 226 match this last weekend?
1: Well, there, there are several things popping to mind. I mean, let's face it. I mean, Brock's formidable, right? I mean, so you, you can't look at Braun, I mean, at, at Brock Lesnar and think, well, you know, it, it's just a work or it's an angle. But, for me, as somebody who traveled the road the 350 days that the documentary talks about, uh, and done much of that as a champion, uh, you know, there, there—it's not just the fans that are relying on you, and that's not to undersell the fans at all. That that they're the most important part of the equation. But you also have a dressing room full of guys and women who are looking and hoping that you draw a house, so that their paychecks go up. And when you're going out there as they're going with Brock, uh, Brock and, you know, working, you know, sporadically is, is underselling this to the umpteenth degree. Uh, you know, how long has it been since he's, since he's defended his belt? Uh, how long has it been since he's regularly appeared on a television or a house show event? So if you're, you know, Johnny come lately, wrestling fans sitting in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the WWE is coming to Pittsburgh. And, you know, you, I think it's a fair assessment if you'd ask, will or won't Brock Lesnar be there? Uh, you know, I, I don't see how, from the traditional methods we've seen in wrestling. Now, look, you've got Paul Heyman speaking for him, one of the greatest talkers in the history of our business. And you have the company catered around him. And now you suddenly see him after you have not seen him on the show that you supposedly watch and love, the WWE, Monday Night Raw. <laughs> Hard to say without a chuckle. Or SmackDown. <laughs> Hard, even harder to say without a chuckle. And, and yet you see him turning up on a UFC event. Good for the UFC. Uh, because you know all the fans that follow him Uh, from the WWE are paying attention to this and you know obviously the the UFC can capitalize off that but if you're a WWE fan watching this do you not have the right to ask why don't I see him performing on WWE whether it's Smackdown or Raw or a house show event as a uh, dedicated champion of that promotion should he not be performing to some greater degree you know in this business we understand how the industry is set up and you see that like with uh any champion you know the rest of the people on the card are you know making far less money than you uh, the reason being because you're supposedly the big draw and yet you're showing up you know 10 percent of the year or less and these guys are out there running the road and you know, doing all the things that we've talked about ad nauseum on their show with their with their fine sports entertainment show, uh, is it not proper for them to then ask why is he making that much money, and I'm out here busting my ass, and yet he's over doing this with UFC? You know, it just uh, to me it just raises a lot of problems, and to me, one of the biggest dangers, and I've seen it. A thousand times, if not more, in, in in my career, something that becomes seemingly innocuous suddenly becomes very cancerous in the dressing room. So, imagine you, J.P., and you, Chad, sitting in the dressing room, and your guys are out humping and busting your ass to make a living. You're on all the house shows. You're on all the TVs. And you're making a decent living, but you're you're certainly not getting rich. And then you see me over here making a king's ransom, and I'm never there. And then going out and doing something like this, undoubtedly, which he's making a chunk of change from the UFC for doing, he'd be a fool if he weren't. And uh, I'd have to believe that that becomes a thorn in your side. And when that happens... In every case I've ever seen that happen in the industry, and I've seen it quite a few, that becomes a cancer in the dressing room. Because now the two of you start saying, why are we busting our asses this much and working this hard? And yet he's making all that money and hardly ever here. Uh, it's, just a, it's just bad for business. And look, let's face it. I don't care if there's a hot dog stand, an ice cream stand for a multi-billion dollar television company. If your employees, in this case wrestlers, are happy and see that you're doing the best you can to take care of them and provide them the best, then those people are gonna work their ass off for you. A happy employee is a hardworking employee. I've never seen somebody that loves their job, that loves the company they're working for, go out and half-ass it. Conversely, When you have a company where somebody else is getting richer by the day and you're the one busting your ass, those are the people that seem to, in my experience, take it easy and find the shortest distance between two points. Um, You know, people in ECW, uh, about ECW, used to always say that we drank Paul Heyman's Kool-Aid. Let me explain to you what was in the Kool-Aid. What was in that Kool-Aid was that when we were hurt, Paul Heyman paid us. When we were uh, uh, unable to work at a specific level, Paul Heyman paid us. Uh, When we had a question, Paul Heyman answered it. And I don't mean to put Paul Heyman over as the all-time greatest employer, because we all know what happened ultimately in in, uh, ECW. But the Kool-Aid that everybody assumed that we drank, from my experience, was us being treated professionally and equitably. And that's why I busted my hump in ECW. So getting back to Brock Lesnar, you know, with all this stuff going on, it may be good for UFC, and if it's a cross-promotion between UFC and WWE, that'll be good for Vince's bottom line. Will it be good for the viewers' bottom line? Will it be good for the wrestlers in the dressing room bottom line? Will it be good for the stockholders' bottom line? That remains to be seen.
0: So at the end of the day, is it good Or is it bad for not just WWE's business, but for the pro wrestling business that he's going back and fighting in the octagon after a few years off? Uh, Does it make wrestling look less competitive for a guy like him? Or is it a good thing for the industry that he's still technically going to be involved on a not even close to part time basis, but on a semi appearance basis? Is it good or bad for the business at this point? For the
1: wrestling business, it's exponentially horrible. You know, you, you've
0: got a guy going over and
1: doing this other stuff. Now, now the fans, when he comes back, the, fan, the, the dwindling fan base, that is the WWE fan base, will look at it and say, hey, the badass, the monster, the dinosaur is back. Uh, but you, how many fans are watching that and saying, Jesus Christ, what's he doing over there? I've seen him twice in the last year or whatever the numbers are, uh, you can't can't have the best of both worlds. You can't say, you know, he's a UFC fighter and he's a WWE talent that wrestles here and there. uh, uh, Emphasis on the here and there. uh, And expect that's good for the company. You know, so for the shareholders and for the Foxes that are coming on and spending all this money, I would hope they have something in the contract that says we're going to see Brock Lesnar X amount of times per year. Uh, but who knows what's in those contracts? I think for the wrestling industry, it's abhorrent that you have this guy going back and forth as he seemingly feels to want to go making all that money. When you. I've been in those dressing rooms, when you're the guy that's in the dressing room, busting your ass on a day to day, week to week basis and getting paid a paltry sum in comparison, then you look at that guy and you think, well, what's the difference? And, you know, it's just, it becomes a cancer in the dressing room. Now we're not hearing anything out of that dressing room. And I doubt we ever will, but I can assure you that the people that are sitting in that dressing room ain't none too happy that he's making all that money and having to perform a whopping, what, six times a year. Um, as they're busting their asses and getting knocked off stages in Portageons, uh, I just don't see where that's a good thing. All that does is build distrust in your dressing room, and once you have that, it becomes
2: a cancer. I feel like you, though, Shane, I feel like you love that Lesnar has Vince by the ball and that he basically calls oh. his own <laughs> shots. The, the businessman in me loves
1: it. I think it's phenomenal that you know, that, that he, he's able to do that. You know, this, this is no uh, umbrage focused at Brock Lesnar, you know, that he's able to make that kind of money, but just taking a step back and looking as an industry, do you want, if you were going to, if I said to you today, I could sell you my wrestling company and it has this, that, and the other thing, would you want a dressing room full of guys going, well, why the hell is he able to work only six times a year and, and making that kind of money? that's a, let's face it, a shitload more than, than most people in that card are making. Uh, would you want to inherit that dressing room that has that kind of built-in uh, anger about where they sit? There's nothing against uh, Brock at all. That he has Vince by the balls, I love. I love seeing any time kind of anybody has Vince by the balls. But, you know, when you're looking at it from a business standpoint, you know, like I said, a cancer in any dressing room is not a good thing to have. And, you know, cancer by its very definition ain't a good thing. So uh, cancer in a dressing room isn't by any stretch of the imagination a good thing either.
2: Now, with Lesnar being the star that he is, he did make the, the surprise appearance at that pay-per-view, got a huge, you know, uh, following of- People talking about it, whether it's mainstream media, whether it's you know the MMA world, whether it's the wrestling world. So so many people are talking about it. They were having people uh, you know on ESPN radio. They were having on um, regular ESPN talking about Lesnar. So he definitely is the talk of the town, and he did cut one hell of a promo. So I mean, I, I feel like wherever he goes, whatever he does, he definitely is a draw, and he definitely is one of those guys that will always be able to call his own shots, which is. Pretty cool in, in the wrestling business where Vince tries to make it more about WWE than individual stars. I think it's kind of cool you get a guy like that who literally is like, nope, I'm fighting MMA. I'm like, okay, you know, no more MMA. Nope, I'm fighting again. I'm going to fight for the world title.
1: Look, look, again, this is nothing against Brock. I'm just, I'm looking at this purely from a business standpoint and moving the company from point A to point B to point C. To date, I think in large part because he's got probably the best uh, uh, singular mouthpiece for him and Paul Heyman. But when you're running a company, it's not just about one employee. It's about all of your employees. And albeit, I'm sure there's nobody up there vocally expressing their their anger or their uh, consternation that this one guy only has to work this amount of time per year. And making all that money, and you know, we can go into the argument who's drawing more well. Or, you know, if you built everybody the same way, would wrestler B make the same amount of money? If you gave him the mouthpiece and uh, you know the limited exposure, you know that that's a discussion that goes round and round and round. It's like like a dog chasing his tail. Uh, but to me, from a company standpoint, you've got a roster full of people in the back there that are working on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, that are trying to make livings for themselves. And, you know, let's face it, if wrestler A is over more than wrestler B, and, you know, wrestler B is not being pushed as hard as wrestler A, there, there is some argument to that. Now, that said, just because you push wrestler B like wrestler A doesn't mean it'll get over to the same degree. But you won't know until you try. And to date, I haven't seen anybody attempted to be pushed in the same way that Brock Lesnar has. I think the WWE gains by limiting Brock's exposure, and I, I I state that often, the matches I've seen him have, are uh, extremely limited in his array of what he can do in the ring. But apparently in the WWE today, that doesn't matter. So if you go out and throw you know 12 uh, German suplexes, that's the same as you know, somebody else working, you know, a 45-minute match with every move you can think of under the under the stars. Who knows? Uh, the fact that he is still over to the degree that he ha- is, that will translate extraordinarily well for the UFC. Uh, but will it translate? In other words, when I say translate, will it put money in the pockets of the men and women that day-to-day toil, in the WWE. That's the real question. And if it doesn't, if the answer to that is no, it doesn't add anything to their pocket, then I can assure you that's a cancer and like any cancer will metastasize and will eat that dressing room up.
2: Now is that time again AFA S franchise anything Dave S via email wrote in a great one and I thought this was actually Pretty apropos, we did talk about Cyberslam 96 last week. He said, now Shane, last week on the show you guys talked about ECW Cyberslam 96 and Brian Pillman, but your match with Cactus Jack was a great match and standout on the show. Just was curious, was the match with Cactus Jack a precursor and blueprint for a later match between Mick Foley and The Rock that happened at Royal Rumble 99? Seemed like a very similar match. Shane, what are your thoughts on that match?
1: Well, you know, obviously, in hindsight, there were a lot of similarities. Uh, You'd have to ask Mick if that was a blueprint. I I couldn't say if it was or it wasn't. Um, Mick and I had obviously had a long history in the business, and the fans knew that, and that worked to our favor. You know, that they all knew that we had broken in together, that we'd all trained under Dominic together. Uh, And, you know, as we had spoken about largely at that time, you know, Mick and I would bounce. If I was going to leave promotion A to go to promotion B, I would talk to mick and say hey this is what they're offering and blah blah, blah. And, and and then vice versa mick would do the same thing so i think because we had that built-in history that the fans were willing to go with that uh when you know mick had called those spots you know to do what he did after his handcuffed and uh you know it just you know i i don't think to the same degree of brutality that it was later with the rock but you know this was the this preceded that, you know, so we, it wasn't about topping something else. It was about laying down a particular point of view for a match that we were having. Uh, we, at that point, we knew that Mick was leaving and, you know, obviously that meant that I was going to get the up, you know, because I was going to continue on in ECW. Um, you know, the, the thing about Mick that I can't underscore enough is that Mick is, uh, professionalism personified. You know so if his job is in that case in, in that particular match's case shane douglas is staying and he's going i means shane douglas has to get the up uh how do we do that and do it in a way that gives the crowd what they expect and yet keeps both over mick was brilliant at keeping himself over like a lot of other guys in ecw later sandman and tommy dreamer that knew that they excelled by losing and getting beaten up more so than if they won. And, you know, Mick was way before his time in, in that department. You know, if that became a template for what he did with the Rock later, you'd have to ask him. But, you know, there are certainly comparisons that, that in parallels that would ask you, you know, that would you know, expect you to ask that question.
0: I got to say, uh, maybe it wasn't Mick. They used it as a template. Maybe it was The Rock, because we all know uh, he does <laughs> he does love him some Shane Douglas. So uh, could have been Rocky uh, Maivia there, not McFoley. <laughs>
1: if so, Lee, I've always said you know uh, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, and if that's the case that that, that Dwayne decided to use that, you know, I, then kudos to him, and and uh, you know, it was, you know, clearly he made a a huge advancement forward in that match. And, you know, it's, uh, but but that's the way Mick performs. You know, Mick has an uncanny knack of having matches, whether he wins or loses, that's irrelevant in in the Mick Foley equation. But afterwards, it seems to me that in every major angle that Mick's ever had, after that angle, whoever he worked with uh, came out in much better prospects than they did going in, and that's a testament, I think, to, Mick, to what Mick did and what Mick brings to the table.
0: Oh, he's the man, absolute man! I think a one promo that he did right as he began a program with Steve Austin in 1998, transitioning back into the heel version of Dude Love, that he just he sucked you in with everything that he did in such a such a huge way. <laughs> he's such a great asset to the industry and uh, timeless, timeless. Personality. Can't say character, just a personality. He's just a timeless guy. But yeah. that's going to bring us to the wrap up portion of the show here. And if you want to contribute a question and tie it into another episode, just like uh, Dave S did with last week's episode, you can email the triple threat at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at the franchise SD at two man power trip. And you can get a hold of the show at the number three threat pod. As I said at the top of the show here, I am asking you and pleading with you to please give us feedback on social media, whether it's a review on iTunes, whether it's reaching out via Twitter, whether it's a Facebook message, or hell, even an email to thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to grow this show. We want to do some really cool things. So please, feedback is essential, and we would love, love to hear it from the great listeners of the Triple Threat Podcast. So, as we kind of get it moving forward here, Shane, we want to direct people to the ProWrestlingTees.com slash store. You can get your franchise Shane Douglas t-shirts as well as to WrestlingSuperStore.com where you can get the first franchise action figure in almost 20 years as you can catch the likeness and add him to your uh, action figure database, your action figure shelf. However you collect your action figures, you can add that black and gold, uh, and special tattooed figure to your action figure collection. And Shane, I know you got some things going on this weekend, so please tell the listeners where you will be out in the wild doing your thing out there in the squared circle.
1: Well, this is a great weekend for me because I don't have to travel, so on Sunday, I've got my entire Friday and Saturday off. I'm going to be enjoying it with my boys. But on Sunday, I'm going to be in downtown Pittsburgh at the WrestleRumble.com off the script. They'll be doing a podcast from 4 to 6 p.m. at the, let me make sure I get this correct, uh, at the uh, Terrace on 1014 10, 1, 10, 10, 14 Fifth Avenue. I'll be doing a live broadcast off the script. Uh, featuring the franchise, Shane does it. So for me, not getting hit with chairs, not getting thrown through tables, not getting slammed on concrete. A chance for me to get down there and talk uh, uh, before this big event down in Pittsburgh. So we're looking forward to it. Uh, this coming Sunday from 4 to 6 p.m., we'll be doing this live podcast. So, and, and Market Square. So by all means, anybody in the Pittsburgh area, uh, it's been quite a while since the franchise has appeared. In the Pittsburgh region. If uh, you're uh, free that day, you want to get a chance to come down, come down, shoot the shit with the franchise, ask some questions, and do a live podcast. But that's where I'll be this Sunday. And then next week, I've got a few private endeavors that I'll be uh, involved with that I really can't talk about here, but wink, wink, we'll talk about it at some point. Wink, wink on this podcast. Wink, wink. Uh, uh, lots of big things happening so uh, that's where I'll be this Sunday the rest of the weekend off and next week who knows, stay tuned
0: <laughs> and I want to give the address it's uh, wrestlingsuperstore.com for the action figure and Shane, please feel free uh, that you can spell it C-H-A-D for uh, the little plugs you'll give Chad for all the things I've taught you uh, throughout <laughs> throughout our time together about this wrestling business this crazy business
1: Absolutely, I mean, you know, every weekend, you guys, you guys know my stuff better than I know it every week. Guys. So it's uh, it's all it's all uh, relative to what we do, and there's a team effort. You guys are always, you, I can always say, you guys have my back.
0: Oh, absolutely, and we got John there doing the research, finding out what the newspaper headlines were the day, what the weather was, the wind gusts coming in from a uh, perpendicular angle. He's got all the bases covered for the. Uh, for the history of the franchise, but that's going to bring it to a close here. We're looking maybe about two weeks to do another theme show. We're going to throw some ideas together into the triple threat brain trust here and see what we can come up with. But uh, maybe two weeks down the road, we'll look for another theme show and please come back next week and uh, join us for episode number 56. So Shane, I'm going to hand it over to you. Please close out the show in only the way that the franchise can. But all on a second.
1: if we do that theme show, it's only going to be with the input from the, from the listeners,
0: correct? Absolutely. We are going straight to the listeners. We're going to do the old poll gimmick one more time, see what we can come up with. I got an interesting little twist maybe we can throw in there, but uh, all listener input.
1: Well, I love it. In that case, make damn sure you pay attention on Twitter. Pay attention to the Triple Threat Podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas and Chad and JP. Check it out each week because if you don't, you're liable to get your ass